So this month, our theme has been on servanthood. Amen. And to be honest with you, I've really enjoyed it. Amen. I've enjoyed even teaching myself as I study about being a servant. Amen. The greatest title you can have is servant, isn't it? The greatest title as far as God is concerned is if he calls you servant. Amen. Our theme scripture has been Matthew 20 verse 26, but it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister or your servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Amen. Completely backwards to the world's thinking, isn't it? That uh, you, you try and elbow yourself to the top and you beat down everyone else to get to the top. But Jesus is saying that his way is that you be a servant. Amen. And uh, we are just going to go over the first week we did about a servant's heart and what it took to have the right uh, attitude to be a servant, of course. And the key is humility. Humility. And then we talked about the call to serve and that God calls people. And they have to be willing at that time to make themselves available, right? If you're not available to serve, then you're not a servant. And then last week we gave two examples of servants Jesus and Paul. And we were going to do this week um, the challenges of serving, and next week we're going to do the rewards of serving. But I forgot that we've got a guest speaker next week who's also going to teach. So I'm going to have a great, relaxing week next week. I'm going to just relax and be ministered to. So this week, instead of, of, of uh, just doing the challenges of ser- serving, We're going to combine both and also the rewards of serving. Next week, we're going to have um, Brother Parker uh, and hopefully his wife. He preached here before. Uh, He's the presbyter of Section 4, I believe. And he and his wife will be here to minister to us, not only in the second service, but he's going to teach too. Isn't that awesome? So I'm going to be able to sit back and be ministered to. Amen. Last week, we just to do some review, we talked about the form of a servant, and we, we, we talked about how Jesus humbled himself, Philippians 2, 7, but made himself of no reputation. That's one of the first things about being a servant. You can't be hung up on your title, and whoever you are, as far as, you know, I've got 30 degrees or whatever, God made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I I don't know what you think about that, but that blows my mind that he took upon him the form of a servant. I talked about where we were born, you know, most of us were born. Anyone born at home? Anyone was born at home? Few of you. Few of you were born at home. Most of us were born in a hospital, right? Most of us were born in a hospital. I was born at home. Um, I was born in, in the bush, so to speak. But none of us was born in a stable. None of us was born in a stable. And that's why the wise men could not believe. That's where they went to look for Jesus. They went to the capital. If a king is going to be born, where do you expect him to be born? In the capital, in the palace. So they came to Jerusalem to see King Herod. We've seen his star. He's king of the Jews had been born and they couldn't find him. Where they found him was in a stable. I think God arranged that deliberately. You can't say anything about where you were born and and compare to be any lower than be in a manger where the animals eat out of. He made himself in the likeness of men for verily he took not on him the nature of angels. He didn't come as a angel. He didn't come as a superman with physical strength. The Bible says he was hungry. He was tired. Amen. He was tired. Oh, okay. I didn't switch that. Okay. They're pointing at me and you can't see what I'm talking about. Let me, let me go back a little bit. Amen. I'm glad that we have some technical people there that, that, uh, let's switch it. And hopefully now you'll be able to see what I've been talking about. Okay. Come on now. Here we go. Takes a little while. There we go. Let's uh, start that again. Amen. So he took on him the form 
of a servant. There we go. All right, now we can catch up. So we did the servant's heart, call to serve Jesus and Paul, and this week we're going to do two, for, you're going to get a two for one. <laughs> you know, they have a deal going on this Sunday. You're going to get, <laughs> you get a two for one. Amen. So we're going to try and get through both, both lessons uh, today so that we don't miss anything. And as I said, he took on the form of a servant. Wherefore, in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. Yesterday I was teaching the, uh, the, the Purpose Institute class, and we were talking about uh, doctrine and false doctrines. And there's a lot of them going around, isn't there? But one of the false doctrines that used to go around was something called the divine flesh. And what it was, was that they taught that Jesus, he wasn't quite the same as us. His flesh was divine, and so he could, he could not, there was not even a possibility of him sinning. He had different flesh. He was different in kind. But yet, what does this scripture say? Verse 17, wherefore in all things it behoved him to be what? Made like unto his brethren. If he was different from us, he could not have been the sacrifice for us. The Bible said he was in all points tempted, just like we, but without sin. He had to be in the form of sinful flesh, yet without sin. And the reason is, that the next phrase tells us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Because he understands what you're going through. As I said, none of us were born in a stable. He understands being born in, in a poor situation. He understands growing up in a single family for after the age of 12, we never hear of Joseph. It's assumed that he, he passed away. We understand being born uh, illegitimately as far as the world was concerned. We know that they knew that because the Pharisees made a little dig. When he was telling them about Abraham, he says, we know who our father is. You understand what they were hinting at? We, we know that you, you, you were born before you and your mother and father were married. We know that you're, you're not really legitimate. That's what they were telling him. We know who our father is. See? So he understands every situation because he says, For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor. That means to help them that are tempted. Isn't that great that when you ask God for help, he truly understands. Amen. I might not understand. I may not have walked in your footsteps. I may not really understand all the things you're going. I don't understand all you've been through, Sister Johnny, uh, you know, but we all have our own crosses to bear. We all are coming from different paths, but we, the Bible says we, we all have our own crosses to bear. So the call to serve then starts with presenting ourselves, and this is still review. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Isn't it great, as I've said so many times, you don't have to bring a turtle dove today, or a goat, you know, or a lamb, because I hate killing animals. <laughs> Amen. I think I've only ever killed one one mammal anyway and uh, chicken my, my, my mother thought it was great one time let's go down and get some free range chickens <laughs> biggest mistake we ever did put me off chicken for six months I couldn't eat chicken <laughs> amen I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that he present your bodies a living sacrifice holy except if you're going to be a servant you've got to be fit to serve right you got to be fit to serve. If you go to the Fister Hotel and you drive up um, and some guy in a, a, looking like a bum comes to open your car, you're going to be like, get, get away from me. <laughs> you know, because you're expecting the guy to come out all dressed up in a valet suit and then you let him open the door for you. But if someone just addles up to you and looking all messed up and so on, you're going to be like, what is this guy doing? You have to be ready to serve. Before God, Lord, use me. Well, are you ready to be used? Have you been praying? Have you been uh, seeking God? Have you been uh, being faithful to his business? Have you been coming to church? Verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing 
of your mind so that you may prove what is that good. Our minds need to be transformed. Sometimes we, from Monday to Saturday, the world just bombards us with images and, and thoughts and, and words. And sometimes it's hard to just focus on what God wants and to drown that out. And sometimes he wants to speak to us in a still, small voice. But if you're a servant, you have to be listening for the call. The master may call you to do something, right? If you're not listening and you're not ready and he's calling, you're not going to stay as a servant in his employ very long. He's going to get somebody else. So we have to be ready to serve. And of course, as I said, we, we looked at last week how Jesus demonstrated uh, servanthood. The greatest thing we said that he did, well, we, we named some, some, some big things he did. One was leaving his glory and becoming man and walking around. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Serving means humility. Right? Serving means humility. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so God becoming man put himself in the position that he could serve us. God can't feel pain. God can't be crucified. So he came in the form of man so that he could identify with us and understand what we're going through. Amen? So what did that mean? That he put limitations upon himself. He limited himself when he put himself in the form of a human body. He limited himself. He walked about places. He could have just zipped from place to place. But as I said last week, he never did anything miraculous for himself. He only did the miraculous for other people. Amen. So he made himself limited as a servant. Hebrews 2.6 But one in a certain place testified saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, speaking of Jesus. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we don't see it. But we don't see it. We don't see the realization of it because he, it wasn't his time yet to take the reins of power. He had the authority, right? He said... I could call 12 legions of angels right now. He chose to go to the cross. He came as a servant knowing what his job is. If you're going to be a servant, you ought to know what the job entails, right? It's terrible taking a job and you have no clue. <laughs> you're not going to be very successful, right? When you, when you go for a job, the first thing you want to find out is, what is it I have to do? Amen. Do you know what you have to do as a Christian? You sure you got the job specifications down in here so you know what the requirements are? Because if you don't and then you don't do the job, then you're going to fail. So when we call ourselves servants, we ought to know what it entails. I know it means picking up the phone at 2 a.m., <laughs> right? I know that as pastor, that, that entails uh, doing certain things that I don't really care in my flesh to do. But that's what it entails. And I have to have a made-up mind and a commitment that that's what I'm going to do. But we see Jesus who made that commitment, who was made a little lower than the angels for the reason of suffering death. Amen. So that was all by way of review. And again, servanthood means serving. So it's easy to say, yes, I'm a servant of the living God. But what have you done? How have you served? Amen. How have you served? Okay, so now we're going to go into the lesson and we're going to try and do two this week. And this week was about the challenges of serving. When you say you're a servant, they're going to treat you badly. Because who looks at a servant, uh, you know, with, with the, at the same rank? People who say they're servants, they look they're looked down upon. So serving involves first humility and understanding that you're going to be persecuted. Jesus said so in Matthew 5, 10, when he was on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those 
who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now I want you all to take a mental break and think the last time you were persecuted for being a Christian. Just think about that. Think about that thing where you felt you were being persecuted because of your Christianity. Everyone got that in their mind? Did you rejoice? (laughs) Did you think you were blessed? Because that's what it says. Now, if we had the right frame of mind, we would go, wow. Wow, I'm blessed. (laughs) I'm blessed. They're persecuting me. But that's not how our flesh feels. We all get depressed and angry and and woe is me. But what is Jesus said? Blessed are you when people insult you persecutely and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. What does the next two words says? Rejoice. So that's a test of where we are, of, of, of how ready we are to be servants. Because I'm, I'm sure most of us, I'm pointing at me too, we don't really feel like rejoicing when we're being persecuted, right? We feel either angry or mad or want to get back. But the Bible said blessed, blessed. Imagine if we could change our thinking, have a transformed mind and say, thank you, Jesus. The church in the New Testament, they said they, they rejoiced for they counted it worthy because they were suffering for Christ. Amen. They, they thought, wow, this is great. Now I can really feel like I'm a Christian because I'm su- if you're not suffering, are you a Christian? Are you, are you making your light shine? Do people even know what you believe? Can they see your, your lifestyle? Because it says, blessed are you when people insult you. Serving involves persecution. Um, back in the 80s, I used to do sound, you know, for concerts and stuff. And many times I felt just like a servant. <laughs> I was doing a concert for the Clark sisters. And uh, I don't know if you know the, the, um, the mother, Maddie Moss Clark. And boy, she did not like how stuff was sounding. Mr. Sound Man! <laughs> right in the middle of the concert. Mr. Sound, and, and she, was, she was telling me what to do and how to do it. <laughs> you know, I didn't feel blessed at the time. <laughs> you know, you have hundreds of people right there. Mr. Sound Man! Rejoice and be glad. <laughs> that, that wasn't what was quite... Man, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> I, was, I was talking to myself. Now, she doesn't remember. This is in the 80s. She probably don't even know me from Adam, but uh, amen. Mr. Soundman, she, she, was, she was on the Soundman, that concert. Nothing was, was right. And I should have rejoiced and been glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. Serving involves humility and it involves persecution. It involves people going to say stuff about you, right? Boy, that church, they're, they're no good. They, they, all they do is this or all they do is that. Or I didn't like the temperature in that church. <laughs> I don't think they're here. So someone complained about how we take up offerings so I can say it. I shouldn't have said that. I I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. Amen, amen. Serving involves persecution. People going to talk about you. My wife is looking at me like, why did you say that? (laughs) People will find something to complain about. Amen. But here's what the scripture says. Rejoice and be glad. Next time, let's see if we can do it. Can we, can we have the presence of the mind that the next time something bad happens to us, we say, you know what? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm being a servant. I'm being your servant. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The same way they persecuted the prophets before you. 
Servanthood also means giving up your identity. As I said, it doesn't matter how big a person you are, what you've done, you know. Back then, when I was doing the sound, I thought I was, you know, doing a great job. I had, I had everything lined up. Here's what John the Baptist said. Here's what John the Baptist said. John chapter 3, verse 30. And it really is what we should be saying. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, isn't that amazing? This is what John the Baptist said. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, can anyone tell me why do you think that's so amazing that he particularly said that? Yes, but even more spectacularly is what Jesus said who he was. Can anyone remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist? Isn't that amazing? Jesus himself said about John, of men born of a woman, women, there is none greater. Think about that. Jesus declared John to be the greatest human being that was born, there, he, or at least co-equal. He said, of, of, of people born of a woman, there is none greater than he. And yet here is John saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. When Jesus came to him, he said, listen, I'm not worthy to even take off your shoes. That is the attitude of a servant. That is giving up your own identity. John had a huge following. He had crowds coming to him from Jerusalem. He could have gotten in the flesh and said, you know, I'm enjoying this. But he never once took any glory for himself. Even when he had the crowds, he said, see, the Lamb of God. That He knew once he said that, he would lose people. He knew there would be people, disciples in his group, who would stop following him and start following Jesus. We need to be always pointing people to Jesus, not to ourselves. Not to ourselves. Not because I'm some great this or great that or I can do this or that. He must increase. I must decrease. Servanthood means giving up your own identity. As I said before in Genesis, I think uh, 15 through 20, where Abraham is going to get a wife for his son, We never know the name of the servant. We never know his identity. We know that he was was the top person in in Abraham's household because Abraham said, listen, if I die without a child, this man is going to inherit. That's how high up he was. And Abraham was one of the richest men. He had hundreds of servants. He had departments and departments. And this servant was the top one. But we never know his name because that was not his place. He was to serve. It doesn't matter if no one knows your name down here. What's important is your name is called up there. Servanthood means giving up your identity. Luke 14, 26. And here's a scripture that many people don't understand and take uh, the wrong way. If any man come to me, And hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Jesus sometimes said some strange things. And he never tried to explain them because you know what? He wanted you to trust him. That's a a very hard saying, isn't it? Let me say it again. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, And his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's a hard saying. That's a high bar. What did Jesus really mean? What did he really mean by saying that? He was saying is that God has got to be first. He said it in that way for emphasis to show you that God has got to be first in your life. Not second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever. But God has got to be first. He's not really saying you need to hate your mother and father, but it's a comparison statement. In comparison to him, he's got to be first. He has got to be preeminent in your life. He's got to be the number one. If my wife 
decides she don't want to serve God. I can't not serve God. Adam's mistake was he never put God first. He listened to his wife, even though he knew it was wrong. That's what this statement is saying, that God has to be first. Not that we hate our parents, but if it's a choice between God and someone else, God has got to be the one you choose. Otherwise, you cannot be his disciple. You cannot be his servant. Right. Let me, let me uh, repeat what she said. The following scripture speaks. Jesus tries to explain it a little bit. And he says, listen, if you're going to build something like a tower, you make sure you can actually build it. You count the cost. And a lot of people, as I said, they want to come to church. They want to be baptized. But they think that's the end of it, whereas it's the beginning of it. There is a cost to being a servant. There is a cost to truly being a disciple. As I said, you know, imagine you're at work and some person, some great pre- preacher comes to your workplace and says, leave everything you've got, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, how many of us would, would do that? Let's be honest now. We want to be apostles and disciples and have the miracles and the blessings, but we don't want any sacrifice. We don't want to give up anything. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So one of the first things servanthood means is giving up your name. Giving up your ambitions, right? Because he's got to be number one. His name is supposed to be written on our foreheads. His name is supposed to be written on our heart. Amen? We're part of his body. We get married to him. Now, it used to be that when men and women married, the wife took on the husband's name. So when we marry Jesus, we take on his name. We give up our identity, right? We give up our identity because we love him. That's part of being a servant. Servanthood means giving up your identity. The next thing that servanthood means means is endurance. Endurance. He's going to ask you to do some things that are not going to be short. They're going to take a while. In the example of Abraham's servant, he told him to take a long trip, a multi-day trip, all the way back to his home uh, land and, and to get a wife. That was probably going to take some months in those days. It wasn't a quick, okay, run down to the corner store and come back. You know, we, we're willing to do the quick, easy things. But if God asks us to do something hard and long, well, you know, I don't know about that, God. What about him? What about her? <laughs> that's, that's what Peter did, right? When Jesus asked him, if you love me, feed my sheep. He said, what about him? Don't you have something for him to do? See, we, we like to do the easy stuff, the stuff that's glorious, but we don't like And I'll be honest, I don't like cleaning. I'm glad there's people here who like cleaning. Amen. It may not be glorious, but it's just as important as getting up behind this pulpit. If this was a mess and dirty and there was was stuff all over the place, servanthood means endurance. James 1 says this, consider it pure joy. I don't know why God works in this way, but he takes the opposite to what we would think. Consider it Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. (laughs) Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Not because God likes to see us suffer. Not because he's a sadist or he wants pain. But there is a reason for what we go through. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You've learned to hold on a little bit more. You've, you've learned to keep going because you can get through that. Paul likens our Christian walk to a race, but not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's he that endureth to the end. Right? It's not a, it's not a sprint. 
You got to pace yourself, right? You got to understand that this is a, a long distance thing. You know that testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, if you've been through certain situations before and you know how long certain things take, then you don't get panicked as you go through it again because you know, okay, this is where I'm at. I know what's going to happen next. And I know this is going to take three days. And after that, it's going to take four. And, you, and so you, you're mature. You can deal with it. If it's your first time, you keep asking like the kids, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I mean, that's what an immature person does, right? The kids do that. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. But I thought you said we were going to be there. I said, yes, we're going to be there. Just hold on a little bit more. And then five minutes. Are we there yet? Paul says, or James says, that that shows a maturity when we have learned perseverance and understanding that if we wait patiently. Doesn't it say that those that wait patiently upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. Amen. You know, he shall. Re- Sometimes because we have not experienced something, we get panicky. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Amen. Hebrews 12.1 tells us this. Therefore, seeing we also are compassed, surrounded in other words, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Sometimes there's things that are not necessarily a sin, but they're just a weight. They're dragging us down. They're stopping us being close to God. You know, It could be sports. We, we give more time to sports than we do to God. It could be some other hobby. It's not a sin, but if you do it to the to the point where God is now down here and your hobby is up here. Okay? Let us lay aside every weight. And then some things are sins, which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience. You ever seen these races where someone just starts out so fast and by the middle of the race, they're at the back because they've exhausted themselves. You got to pace yourself in this Christian journey. Amen. Run with patience. The race that is set before us. Paul likens endurance to a good soldier. In those days, soldiers walked everywhere. They didn't have tanks. Unless you were in the cavalry, 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 you had to walk. So he said in 2 Timothy 2, 3, speaking to Timothy, he said, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The Roman army in those days, you had to serve for like 20 years. It wasn't like two years or four years. You went in and you were there for 20 years before you had the possibility of, of, of retiring. He also points out, listen, if you're going to be a good soldier, you don't get distracted with stuff. Get into stuff that's going to take up all your mental attitude and your strength. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You have to be in mind of who has called you and what he wants you to do. So part of being a a good servant is you're going to have to endure some hardship. You're going to have to get a little bit tougher, right? Paul, by the Probably 20 years in, he had been through so many things that on his last journey back, when he was going to Jerusalem and everybody was telling him, listen, you go to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you. They're going to do all of this kind of stuff to you. You know, the prophet tied him up and and showed him, this is what's going to happen. They're going to throw you in prison. And what was his reply? None of this moves me. (laughs) What a testimony. What a, can you say that? None of this moves me. None of this shakes me. None of this is going to get me upset. I've been through this. I've been through lack. I've learned, he said, in whatever situation I find myself to be content. Why? Because now he's got such a trust, such, such a, a dependence on God. You know, there's some, as I, I can only use myself, but I've been through so many previous financial crisis that now, you know, if I get something, it doesn't move me like it maybe before I'd be all, Lord, what am I going to do? How's this going to work out? 
and get all scared. Now it doesn't move me because I've seen what God can do. He moved a half million dollar stuff out of my way before. So a few thousand is nothing. Right? So they told him, you're going to be thrown into prison. You mean again? Because <laughs> he'd been in prison so many times. He'd been in prison and sang at midnight and the earthquake come and the, everything was released. So he said, none of this moves me. They're all crying and weeping and saying, Paul, don't go. Don't, you don't have to go. And he says, none of this moves. Think about that. That'd be a good title for a message. None of this moves me. No man that warreth entangleth himself. Sometimes God wants us to do stuff, but we got so many entanglements that we are not really free to do what God wants us to do. Entangleth himself with the affairs of this life so that he may please him who hath called him. Now, I've pointed out some of the challenges of being a servant, but there's also some great rewards. Amen? There's a blessing for being a faithful servant. Amen? In the, in the parable of the ten talents, and he gave one five, and he gave one two, and he gave one one, and you know the story, the one who who got five went out and he doubled it, and the one who got two went out and doubled it, and the one who got one went and hid it. And I taught some months ago on, on my little personal revelation that that one talent was grace. Because the Bible says we're all given a measure of grace. But if we don't give grace to others and just keep it for ourselves, it's unfruitful. But at the end of the parable... When it was time for the rewards, this is what Jesus said. His Lord said unto him, well done. Now, this is what I want to hear. This is what we all should want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. See, Sister Sunita, you've been faithful cleaning the church. People think that's nothing. Or you've been faithful just picking up one person every Sunday. Maybe you're not behind here, but you, you're so faithful in what you do. Well done. That might be just your two talents. Amen. I will make thee ruler over many things. Do you know you're going to reign and rule with Christ? I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of of thy Lord. That's what I want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now notice, the one who got two got the same commendation. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, Good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over men. You see that the commendation was the same? Because God is not expecting more than you can do. But he is expecting something. To whom much is given, much is required. And the Bible says if you call yourself a teacher, then you're going to be, be risking many stripes because you're supposed to know better. If you call yourself a minister, a servant, God is expecting you to do a lot with what you have been given. So there are blessings for a faithful servant. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Isn't that an awesome thing? God is saying, listen, you can't even imagine what the reward is going to be. You have no clue. You can only see it by faith. Verse 10 explains that. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth out all things, yea, the deep things of God. The Bible says in the physical sense, I hath not seen nor ear heard what God has got prepared. God has got secrets you don't, me and you can't even begin to believe or understand. 
There's going to be, heaven is not going to be sitting on a cloud with a harp. Oh no, it's going to be much more than that. Amen. It's going to be unbelievable joy. Now, I asked this question sometime before, but can anyone think of a day when they were so happy that they couldn't stop smiling? They were just so full of joy. Maybe they got, maybe you got some news or I don't know what the day was, but something made you so joyful, so happy. Can you, can anyone think of a day like that? Have you got one day in your, however many years you've lived that you experienced one day when you were so full of joy and happy and unbelievable? Come on, raise hands if you don't tell me that, but if you can think back to one day in your life when you were so happy, so, and if you could have just freeze framed that time. If you could have just stopped the clock right there. I've had a few of that. Some of them kind of, uh, if I told you, you'd think, man, that's so dumb. <laughs> and I told, I'll tell you one. When I was in high school, uh, I was 17 or 18. Uh, they had, uh, this was many years ago, and I was living in England. And it was the Queen's 25th, at that time it was her 25th uh, silver jubilee. And so she invited two high schoolers from every school in England, well, no, in London, to come to the palace to have tea with the queen. And guess what? I didn't get it. That wasn't it. <laughs> that was not it. But because I was, on the, I was on the list, I was close, but I didn't get it. So after that went through, the school got another thing. They got, they got something, in my view, that was so much better. They got... They got uh, asked to send two high schoolers for a six-week, all-paid, all-expenses trip to Jamaica. And guess what? I got that one. <laughs> and we got treated. It was a community uh, thing, and we got, uh, it was treated by the government, and it, we, we got to go to all these places where normally tourists can't go. And when I got the news that I, I was one of the two, just for that instant, you couldn't stop me smiling. My, my jaws ached. I was smiling for so, such a... I say all of this to tell you this, that none of that is going to compare to when you find out that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. No, no earthly joy, no earthly uh, whatever it is, winning whatever, getting whatever. None of that is going to compare. Let me tell you now, with the joy, with the joy, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have it entered into the heart of man, the things, it's more than one thing, that God has prepared for them that love him. No matter what joyful instant you had in your life, maybe you've had several, it's not going to compare to the reward of being a faithful servant. It's not going to compare all the sufferings you've been through, all the hardships you've been through, all the pain you've been through is not going to compare. Jesus tried to tell it in the parable of the, of the, of the pearl that was hidden in, in the field and the man sold everything he had to gain this one thing that was so much more valuable. I'm trying to inspire you this morning. Don't, don't give up. Don't give up. Because what is to be revealed, the Bible says, I have not seen. We can't even in our little puny brains imagine what God has got prepared. The blessings of a faithful servant are yet to come. Now, the Bible tells us that we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But that's not a judgment of condemnation. It's a prize giving. It's a reward ceremony. Amen. I don't know, were you ever in your high school prize giving or reward ceremonies? You know, I remember the first time I, I won something publicly, I was in grade school and it was for reading because I, I used to love to read and I, I won, uh, won the reading competition. So I went up there and I got, I got a prize of um, uh, a token for some more books and I was so happy about that. Amen. But there is coming a prize giving to beat all prize givings. 
In, in the world, some of the highest awards that can be given in the field of science is called the Nobel Prizes. And I think they're worth like 1.5 or 2 million. And they award them in, in the sciences for physics and for medicine and for economics. And they have a Nobel a Prize for peace. And that's such a prestigious, that's about as high as you can get as far as pre prestigious awards in this world. But I'm telling you, there's one that is higher. The Bible speaks of the Bema Seat Judgment, and that's, that's in the Greek. It means it was a special judgment throne that the Greeks used to put um, at their games, at their Olympic games. And when you won, you would come before the judge, and he would put a, a crown. He would put a crown on, on your head, and you would re be rewarded with all these honors. That's, what the, that's, the, that's the, the symbol that Paul used to explain what's going to happen to us. He says uh, we should not focus on, on, on it as being um, a judging our sins or rewarding us, but it's God rewarding us according to how we've lived our lives. Not to get into the kingdom, but a reward for being a faithful servant. 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, For if we should judge ourselves... We should not be judged. We're not going to be judged in a condemnation sense, but we are going to be judged on how we ran our race. Romans 10 uh, to 12 explains, uh, Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. As surely as I live, says the Lord. Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will have to give an account. Just like in the parable of the talents, he's going to say, okay, I blessed you. I stopped you from all kind of trouble. I gave you room to work for me. What did you do? What did you do with the gifts I gave you? I want to be able to say, Lord, you gave me two and I'm, I've doubled it. That's what I want to be able to say. 2 Corinthians 5.8 We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with Christ the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. Here it is, verse 10, for we must all appear. Point to your neighbor and say all. And this is not a judgment as condemning, it's a prize giving. It's a different word for judgment, which is uh, uh, crino. I talked about that. This is the bema seat judgment. And everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see, God has said, listen, no one has left father or mother, brethren, lands, for my name's sake, that he shall not receive what? An hundredfold. And also, in addition, you're going to get an eternal life. Amen. What have you sacrificed for God? That's the question. Don't answer me that. That's between you and him. But he is going to give you. You know, some people have really sacrificed. I haven't, I haven't really. I really can't compare myself with when you hear these stories of some of these people, what they have been through for the name of Christ in some of these countries where they have They've had their family killed. See, God is a just God. He is going to reward according to our works. Now, that doesn't mean we're not in heaven, but there is going to be a reward ceremony. Amen. Paul says, run that you may what? Obtain. You got to run the race that you may obtain. Amen. So God is going to look at your Christian work. He told the story, the parable of the man who built his house what? On the sand. You like my little sandman there house? <laughs> Every man's work shall be made manifest. Everything you do is going to be made manifest. For the day shall declare. That means your work's going to be tested. Things are going to come into your life to see what remains, what is standing. Storms are going to blow, Right? Storms are going to blow. That's what it's saying. The day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. 
and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall, what does it say? Receive a reward. Now, it does goes on to say that if your house burns down, uh, your work won't survive, but you will still be saved, so to speak. So God is not saying you're not saved, but he's saying, listen, you need to work in my kingdom. You need to be doing something. Amen. Maybe your work is just praying for people. That's a work. Amen. That's a work. So the reward of every servant is that there's going to be a, a, a beam of seat reward. Genesis 15.1. God called Abraham and he made him his servant. And go, guess what he promised him? After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision saying, Fear not. I'm telling you, don't be worried about what God has asked you to do. Don't be afraid of your gifting. Don't be afraid of your calling. God told him, listen, I'm calling you for a special job. Of course, because he called him for a special job, there were some special tests. There was some, you got to leave your whole family and go to this place where you don't know what it is. You don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what what's there i want you to just obey me leave your family that was a test that was a once he did that then god spoke to him some more told him listen in you the whole family of heaven of earth is going to be blessed and i'm going to give you a son and in your in the seed in your seed is the whole nation's going to be blessed but then came the test i want you to take your only son whom you love and I want you to go three days journey up onto this mountain, I'm going to tell you. I want you to sacrifice him. And as I've joked around, most of us would say, is there anyone else up there? <laughs> when the Lord tells us something hard, we ask for another uh, option. But here's the key. Because Abraham was obedient, the Bible says after he, he was about to kill his son, the angel told him, stop. Now I know that you're not going to withhold anything from me. And so he called him his servant. From that point on, guess what? God consulted Abraham before he did anything. He said, shall I not talk with my servant Abraham before I, I bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah? Wouldn't it be great if God would just consult with us? And he will if we're truly his servant. Fear not, Abraham. God is telling us today, whatever he's called you to do, stop being afraid. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. First thing he said, I am your shield. That means he's your protection. And thy exceeding great reward. Now, people sometimes can blow things up and make it sound great and big and much more than it really is. And you have to say, well, I'm going to take that with a pinch of salt. I, mean, I know they're saying it's a big deal, but you know, I know that person. They tend to exaggerate. But when God says, but when God says, I am thy shield and thy exceeding, exceeding, exceeding great reward. When you are a faithful servant, God becomes your shield and your exceeding great reward. But just like in Hebrews where it said all things are put under his feet, it also said, but we don't see it yet. You may be saying, okay, I hear you, Pastor, but where's all this great reward stuff? I don't see it yet. It's coming. Now we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the purpose of suffering death. Right now, we're in that stage of the journey. We're still camping out in the desert, but one day we're going to cross over. One day we're going to cross over the Jordan. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now I'm going to wrap this up by just going over a few of the rewards that come with being a faithful servant. The first thing it says in Revelation is you get to eat of the tree of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You know what that means, of course? Eternal life. It means God's gift of immortality is restored. Amen. If you are a faithful servant, you get to eat of the tree of life. Isn't that awesome? 
Amen. Yes. And that is as a result of a heart full of love for Christ. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcome. You have to overcome some things to get to the garden. You have to go through some things to get back into that garden. I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the middle of the paradise of God. And it's not as hard as that. The thief on the cross said, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. What a short prayer. That's all he said. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Sometimes we think it's some big elaborate prayer, but all sometimes we can cry out is remember me. See, that, that reward is for those that love God, for a heart full of love for Christ. The second thing that it says is we are uh, free of the second death. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I'm talking about the rewards of servanthood. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. That means you're going to not have your soul destroyed. Amen. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. This is Paul. Because of God's grace, he was a sinner. He called himself the chiefest of sinners. He was a murderer, a torturer of Christians. But God gave him unmerited favor. So just because God gave him unmerited favor, he didn't just fold his hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Here's what he said he did. No, I worked harder than all of them. He decided, I gotta, because I, I was the one killing Christians, I've got to do so much more. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He determined he was going to give up everything, completely do 180 degrees from his former life of persecuting Christians. See, when we're called to Christ, we're called, it's a gift. We don't work to get in the kingdom, but in the kingdom we work. Amen. Amen. Let me say it again. We don't work to get in the kingdom, but in the kingdom we work. Amen. And that is a reward of a sound witness. A sound witness. Now the third one, and this one you may say, well, what is this? Revelation 2.17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manner. Angel food. When this thing fell from the sky, they didn't know what it was. So they, the Hebrew word manna means, what is this? <laughs> they were saying, what is this? God is saying we get to eat of the hidden manna. And then we're given a white stone and a new name written which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you remember, in the Old Testament, the priest had an ephod. And on it were the nine stones called out, but actually the 12 stones. And each one had the name of one of the tribes. And to collectively together, when you combine all of the colors of the stones, you get a white stone. What God is symbolizing is that we become kings and priests. Amen. We get to reign and rule with him. In the Old Testament, the, 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 the office of the king was over here. The office of the priest was over here. And they were never brought together. But in Christ, we become kings and priests. See, the names were etched upon the stones. Here, your name is going to be etched upon your stone. You get a, the, the hidden manner and you get the stone with your name on it. And of course, it, it signifies an overcomer. Amen. The fourth reward is, let me just read it. Revelation 2.26. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule with a rod of iron as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father, and I will give him the morning star. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I know this, it must be something great. Amen. See, there are some things that we won't understand till we get over there. All we'll be able to say is, wow, wow. That's all we'll be able to say when we get to heaven is, Wow. Amazing, astonishing, amen. This is what it says here. Um, we also get five crowns. Did you know that? First Corinthians nine twenty five, 
And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an uncorruptible crown. A diadem in the, in the Greek. And that is striving for mastery. That means we're, 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 we're always fighting against the flesh. If you will be an overcomer, the Bible says you're going to get an incorruptible crown. I'm rushing along here. Then we get a crown of life. Revelation 2.10. Fear none of those things which, which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that he may be tried. And he shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. A crown of life. These are the rewards for a faithful servant. And that's for those who have been faithful. Then the Bible speaks about a crown of glory. 1 Peter 5, 2. And these are for people who are witnesses. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, not because someone is paying you, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory. Isn't that something? All you teaching Bible studies, you're feeding somebody. You have a right, if you're faithful to the end, to receive a crown of glory. If you witness to somebody and you're encouraging somebody and you're telling them about Christ, you have a right to a crown of glory that fadeth not away for feeding and being an example to the flock. Then there is the crown of righteousness. Henceforth, this is Paul, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. If you could stand with me. This is all about servanthood this month. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not for me only. I like that part. Paul was not claiming this just for himself. He said, not for me only, but for all unto them all also that love his appearing. Love his appearing. Now, I've been told that when certain birds make nests, they start off by putting all kinds of prickly stuff at the bottom of the nest. And they keep covering it and covering it, and the final stuff is all very soft and fluffy. And after they have the, the, the eggs and they hatch and the birds start to grow, there comes a time when the birds have got to fly. But they, they're, they're just loving it. They just sit there with their mouth open and just, ah. And the mother and the father have to keep feeding them. But after a while, they get tired of that. And it's time for these birds to fly. So you know what, you know what they do? They start messing up the nest. Taking out all of the, the soft stuff. And guess what? It becomes uncomfortable. All the prickly stuff gets up there. I'm telling you, this world is becoming uncomfortable. It's starting to get prickly underneath it. You know what God is telling us? It's time to fly. It's, it's coming up on time to fly. It's getting uncomfortable. I have no ambition. I'm telling you, people ask me, what's your five-year plan? <laughs> my five-year plan is heaven. <laughs> That's my five-year plan. That's my one-year plan. That's my next month plan. That's my 10-year plan. Amen. Because it's time to fly. Paul said, listen, not to me only, but unto them also that do what? Love his appearing. Is there stuff you want to do more than him coming back? You're not going to get this crown. This is only to those who love his appearing. You got to want him to come. Lord, come tomorrow. Come tonight. Come while we're in church worshiping. Come while we're lifting up our hands. Come while we're praying. It's for those who love his appearing. Amen. Amen. We have finished this month's topic on servanthood. I hope you have been blessed. Amen. I already have the topic for next month. Amen. And it will be commandments. Jesus said, if you love me. Right. We all say we love him, right? So we're going to go through meticulously next month the commandments that Jesus said. Let's see how we're doing. Amen. Let's see how we're doing. We say we love him. 
But are we keeping his commandments? Hallelujah. If you could bow your hearts with me, Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Let it find good soil, Lord God. Hallelujah. Let it bring forth a harvest, Lord Jesus. Help us, O God, to be your true servants, to be your faithful servants. Lord God, that one day we can hear... Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your of our Lord. Lord Jesus, we ask you right now to touch our hearts. Bless our second service. Lord, let there be an anointing that breaks every yoke. Lord God, help us to be on one accord, Lord God. Fill this sanctuary. Lord, let your spirit have liberty to touch and to heal and to deliver. We lift up your name and we give you all of the glory in Jesus' name. Come on, let's give God a praise offering this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Well done, thy good and faithful servant.